Welcome to the Leadership Podcast with me, Sim Dendy. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. We have been really encouraged to see the responses to the first few episodes. We want this podcast to be a practical tool for Christian leaders across the UK, whether you're leading a church, a business, a school, or a non-profit. So if you are one of those people, please do go to our website, theleadershippodcast.uk, where you can sign up for free to the Leaders Hub, which is our members-only area and where we'll be posting links and resources from the podcast, as well as bonus content and interviews. So however you are listening to this show, please do subscribe so that we, as we release new episodes, you'll get them sent to you automatically. And could I also ask you to leave us a review or share on social media? It only takes a few minutes, but it really helps us to get this podcast into the hands of those that will find it most useful. This week, we are joined by Patrick Reagan, who is the CEO and co-founder of Kintsugi Hope Charity, which came about following a series of personal trials and ill health, which affected Patrick and his family. Prior to that, Patrick founded and led an urban youth work charity called XLP for over 20 years. Patrick has traveled to over 40 countries, working with and on behalf of the poorest communities, and is a regular contributor on radio and TV of issues of justice and well-being. He has received the Mayor of London Peace Award and was also awarded an OBE from Her Majesty the Queen for services to young people. Patrick is a passionate communicator, equally at home on the main stage at major UK political party conferences, as well as engaging in robust debates in the media or speaking to inmates in a maximum security prison. Patrick is married to Diane and they have four children. He's the author of six books. His most recent one is entitled Bouncing forwards. So thank you so much, Patrick, for joining us today. I want to start by asking the question, you are, you are a serial charity founder. Uh, <laughs> you, you, have, you have founded two successful charities. You've been awarded an OBE for your work. And I guess my question right to start here is, how did you get started? What motivated you to start running a charity? To be honest, Sim, uh, when I was 16, I did one of these sort of two weeks in London mission uh, trips. And uh, and I remember I went to Waterloo Bridge and underneath Waterloo Bridge at the time was a place called Cardboard City. And it was a time where literally hundreds and hundreds of people were living in cardboard boxes. And I remember sitting down and uh, there's a bunch of homeless guys and one had begged enough money to get a hamburger. And he passed the hamburger around and everyone was taking a bite out of it each. And he passed it to me. And I was like, what are you doing? Um, I have everything. You have nothing. Yet you're giving me out of your poverty. And a real pivotal moment for me was I looked up at the wall at that point and someone on the wall in Kabul City had written the words, welcome to reality. And, and I felt like that night, my Christian bubble burst, if you like, you know, I'd sort of been a Christian a long time, but um, hanging out with my, listening to my Christian music, with my Christian youth group, everything was Chris, you know, we do everything, don't we? We even have Christian aerobics these days, you know, it's like, um, and it was almost, I prayed a prayer that night, God, just break my heart for the things that break yours. And I feel like my, my perspective really changed. And, and I think that was my, like my pivotal moment and, and everything I've done since came out of that, just desperately wanting to reflect God's heart to those that feel marginalized and, uh, or society, you know, those on the margins of society. 
Um, so yeah, that was that was uh, that was sixteen. That was a very 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 long time ago, Sim. <laughs> I wasn't going to make any comment, but I just think, <laughs> but, but those significant moments they set us up, don't they, on tra- trajectory? You could have just walked past, you could have ignored the offer, but you saw something, and that inspired mm. you to to set up your first charity, XLP. Um, which I know was was something very precious to you at the time, what you saw going on in the c- culture around you in London. Um, but when do you ever describe yourself as as a leader or an influencer? I know, I know you're not particularly the sort of person who kind of parades around and go, look at me. But, but when was that moment you thought, actually, I'm carrying something here which needs to be shared? Um, I don't know if there was a moment. Um, I, I was really inspired by... Um, Henry Nguyen's writing around wounded healers and that you know he talks about the fact that actually what the world needs isn't like the sort of glossy showreel and sales people for Jesus that it needs wounded healers people that are willing to be honest and open and vulnerable about their experiences of faith doubt justice mercy and and everything in between and I guess for me that was just a process Um, I've always struggled with imposter syndrome you know that sense that anything I've ever done is a fluke and one day I'm going to get found out this could be my moment Sim on your podcast and uh, but I do and you know I lived in Peckham for 25 years uh, where God lives and it was very inner city and you know my two gremlins if you like the inner critic which I often talk about my two loudest gremlins were you're not urban enough and, and then the second one was like, you're not academic enough, you know. Um, in fact, there's a very funny story. I had a, almost like, I think it's only a year ago now, I had a guy that was banging on my door um, at seven o'clock in the morning. And I went downstairs and I knew he'd been dealing cocaine. I knew he'd just come out of prison <laughs> for GBH. And, and in my head, I'm like, what do I do? I'm so tired. And so I'm like, if I don't let him in, he's gonna get really angry. And this whole thought of you're just not street enough, you're not, you know, you're not urban enough to talk to these people. Um, you're a complete fraud. I opened the door and he was obviously very angry. And, and I've worked out over the years that anger is a response to pain. It, it, it's showing you that something's not right. But um, as I was standing there, I realized that I was wearing my pepper pig pajamas. <laughs> I'm trying to have this really serious conversation with this guy. What are you doing? Um, I have got Daddy Pig running all over my legs, and uh, but like you know, that's a silly illustration, but it's happened like on various. You know, I've been in the House of Commons discussing policy with very well-recognised politicians. I have not a clue what they're talking about. Um, I've Googled it on my iPhone. Um, of course, Google's great, but you need to learn how to spell the words properly first. So <laughs> that was a bit of a disaster as well. So I, I think I just came to the conclusion that what speaks louder than anything else to anyone is integrity. And, you know, I've often said this, that Desmond Tutu probably is one of the best leaders that's ever uh, lived and and it, you know he's got no power now he's he's an old man um but there probably isn't a president in the world that wouldn't meet him off an airplane and i think it's because his life screams integrity and uh and so we've never had a big media department we've never you know we've had lots of media coverage but it's literally half you know one person half part-time doing our media stuff so i think it's that do what god's called you to do and let let the media follow you around. If you seek it all the time, I think it becomes really dangerous, actually. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, and I don't think you're alone. I think many of us, I know I've sat in numerous green rooms preparing to go onto a stage and speak at an event and look around the room and think, how did I get this invitation? <laughs> what happens if they find out I'm not that good? Or what happens if they realize what's going on in my head right now that I'm actually in awe of some of you people here? <laughs> and maybe everyone's thinking the same thing and needs someone like you to go first and change the story. Yeah. You mentioned Desmond Tutu there. I mean, you've, you've met him. He came yeah. to visit you in London, is that right? A few number of years ago now. Yeah, he came. Um, it was an amazing story, actually. Um, he he was coming at 10 o'clock to visit a bunch of our our young people. And uh, we had this mobile youth centre bus, double-decker bus. And it was coming, he was coming at 10 o'clock in the morning. But, <laughs> but the thing is, at 10 o'clock in the morning, most of the young people I was working with at the time were either in bed or in school. And uh, so we had to get the kids up, you know, and uh, and of course, none of them knew who Desmond Tutu was like, like not one of them. Uh, there was one kid who, who was from South Africa. Him and his mum were really excited. But everyone else was like, why am I getting up at like 10 o'clock to hear this 81 year old bloke talk? And and I learned a lot from that trip because they came more out of respect for for us in XLP than knowing who Desmond Tutu is. But he came on the bus and you know, this is a guy who, his history of Nelson Mandela, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, you know, this guy can name drop for, for anyone, you know, and uh, like many leaders do. And he just listened. And I was like, that, yeah, I like the listening, Desmond, that's good. But now you can sort of give them the, the Nelson Mandela stories, you know. And he listened and he listened. And these guys literally just poured out like, you know, what does poverty really mean? What's it like when you see your, your mate shot and killed um, and no one offers you counselling? You know, what's it like to have a, a temporary dad in your life who comes for six months and your mum says she's in love, but then he disappears again and he tries to be your dad, but he's not your dad. And, uh, and they all stopped talking. And at the end, he just went, what you guys need to know is your past doesn't have to define your future. Uh, and then he grabbed this kid and there's always a kid in your youth group sim that you think anyone else but him would be great and and it was that one you know he'd been smoking weed all morning it was only 10 o'clock he was fidgety and he grabbed his hand and he went i'll tell you what you are you are a vsp very special person you're made in the image of god you have the potential to change the world and this guy just sat there and took it he didn't know what to do he, he was completely gone and and I was just amazed. And there was this moment where, um, and I guess this is another leader's confession coming up here. There was a moment where me and Desmond Tutu were on our own. And I thought, oh, this is my moment, you know, um, get some advice. And he just turned to me and he went, Patrick, the one thing you need to remember is you make God smile. And I have told that story so many times. And every time I told it for the first couple of years, I lied. Um, I said that XLP make God smile um you know trying to promote the charity and trying to revert the tension and i lied i lied i feel embarrassed now but i lied because i think i struggled to accept that for myself and but that you know he didn't say that he said i make god smile and and i realized that that was a real sort of key in trying to understand who i was as a leader is understanding what god sees of me not just what i do um and when i left xlp behind big staff team big profile you know, it's just me and Diane, and uh, and we went from there. Yeah, so to tell me about that, because obviously that was a massive change. You led XLP for over 20 years. Um, mm. It was very successful. You had, I mean, every politician wanted to come and be your friend, especially around election time. Yeah. Um, you had royal, <laughs> royal visitors. I mean, you really had all that stuff going on. 
and and then you had this major operation. I remember you telling me, I remember seeing you on your crutches and your both knees were operated on and it was a horrendous yeah. season uh, and it changed. It changed you. It changed your trajectory at that point. Tell us about what was going on at that moment. Yeah, I guess um, I, I, it was just like a perfect storm of everything going wrong at once. You know, it's like the Tetris moment, the old computer game where it, it just comes down too quickly and you can't get it in a row. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kids got very sick. Care's got a condition called HSP. It's a very serious condition. She was in the hospital. Um, dad got cancer. For, he was in the hospital nine weeks in the end, I think. He lost three stone of weight. Um, you know, I got this... Uh, diagnosis of needing to have both my legs broken in three places and the metal frame they wanted to attach to my bones would be on six to 12 months and uh, and and it just kept coming and coming and coming and I started really struggling with anxiety and I felt like I felt really alone I didn't feel like there was any other Christian leader I could go to and go oh guess what I'm really struggling to trust God because like, you know, as Christian leaders, you don't really say that to each other. You tell faith stories and, you know, this faith story and that faith story. And the preaching is all about faith stories. And and so I sort of just bottled it, I think. And and actually, there was a real pivotal day when the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge came, William and Kate. And I remember these photos. I mean, they literally went around the world uh, of me and the Duke and Duchess. And, and everyone was texting me going, oh, well done. It's fantastic. And I was like, the showreel looks great, but the behind the scenes is completely different. And, and I was like, I can't live this way. I can't live a lie. And, uh, and then having the operation and journeying through that anxiety and, and allowing God to meet me within that. Um, it's not something I've ever been healed of. Um, it tends to raise its head now and again. And, uh, but I've managed it. I manage it well. And, uh, and, and then I just felt like God say, Patrick's time to let XLP go. And I'm like, I'm a founder. We don't let go. What are you talking about? And this is 22 years of my life here, you know, blood, sweat, tears. And now it's like, you know, um, I, you know, it's always on the edge. Every charity is on the edge, but like, at least I've got some measure of security and a decent salary and all that stuff. And, and it's just like, I'm breaking your heart for something else. And so I resigned and me and Diane started again um, and started Kintsugi Hope. And that was only three years ago now, three years ago. So. Yeah. And, and it's been lovely to watch you and Diane, I guess, work more together. But how was that moment you turned around to you? He might wife? not say that. <laughs> <laughs> and say, come on, Diane, I'm thinking about leaving all that I've known, you've ever known, and we're going to start something new. That sounds adventurous and exciting to those outside but on the inside how was that for you especially someone who's going i'm struggling with anxiety the last thing i need <laughs> is to create more uncertainty yeah no definitely and, and and the weird thing about anxiety is is my anxiety was more related around health um and i think people's anxiety sometimes is different i was always good at um obviously not worrying too much about um, some of the aspects that, you know, I've been to Iraq, Trench Town, done gang mediation. So all the things that, that type of thing I was fine with, but when it came to health, it was really hard for me. And, uh, but I don't know if I, again, in all honesty, I felt like Diane was like, she could see how hard I was working. She could see that I'd probably got myself into some fairly unhealthy rhythms of um, working in terms of, you know, so much need out there and, and finding it hard. And also I think if I, again, being completely honest, I think as you grow an organization, if you're not careful, you end up, because you're the founder, you end up doing 
jobs within that organization um management structure stuff and which actually people might be able to do better than you you know and i'm absolutely okay with that um and so i think i was ready i was really ready to go and i think diane knew i was ready and uh, but emotionally it was still really tough um and uh, yeah i remember it that those six months were really hard emotionally but um it was definitely the right thing to do yeah so to talk to us then about kintsugi hope that's the name of your new charity or like you said three years old now so it's starting to gain its own life force uh, but but why kintsugi i mean most people probably won't know what that even means yeah um, you're the first person to ever introduced me to that concept so tell me about kintsugi kintsugi hope how it began yeah Sure. I mean, I think when I was going through that time of real brokenness, um, the image of Kintsugi was was such a, a sort of a, a game changer for me. So the image of Kintsugi is if we get a bowl, we'll break it, we'll mend it with super glue. And the whole idea of super glue is you hide the cracks, you pretend it's not broken. And what they do in Japan is they put a gold powder in the glue. So instead of hiding the cracks, you make a feature of the cracks. Arguably, the object becomes more beautiful than before. It certainly becomes more unique. There isn't a bowl like it on planet Earth. And, and I think it's a really beautiful concept that God takes the brokenness of our lives and he doesn't chuck it away. And he doesn't say, oh, that's a waste of time. Let's just get a brand new one out, um, which has no unique features whatsoever. Um, that actually pours in his love. He pours in the gold and he does something beautiful out of brokenness. And, you know, I feel that scars are not there to be ashamed of. Our scars make us who we are. You know, Jesus in his resurrected body had scars. There'll be scars in heaven. And, uh, and so the whole concept came and, and I realized running XLP, there was a massive need around mental and emotional health. I, I just saw it everywhere within the church, outside the church. Um, it was this sort of spoken a bit about, but not really the odd seminar here and there at a festival, maybe. And uh, but how do we serve our communities in this area? And so what we did in the end is we wrote a 12 uh, week well-being program based on Alcoholics Anonymous. But instead of alcohol, it was all around well-being. And uh, and in a nutshell, train churches to run this in their communities and uh, whether that's on Zoom, online, um, for people that attend in food bank, for people within the church, sports clubs, business, homeless communities. I mean, it's literally gone everywhere now, um, which has been really beautiful, actually, um, just to see people building relationships and coming together. Um, so, yeah, so that's where the concept of Kintsugi came from. Yeah, and we've benefited personally as a church leader. We've used it in our church. Numerous groups have been run for people in our community as well as in our church families. Yeah. Well. The crossover has been fantastic. And you said yeah. to me earlier that you've got over a thousand different, is it groups or leaders now running Kintsugi around the UK and beyond, I guess? Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't got the most accurate figures up to date, but there's there's just under a thousand leaders. Um, and, and we, we reckon about about i don't know about 2600 people have been in kintsugi groups over this period um which is is so encouraging and a lot of them would be brand new to church i feel like isn't i was so grateful to god that we planned all this before covid <laughs> you know we spent two years piloting researching getting all the clinical psychologists and the doctors and gps and nurses and everyone involved um safeguarding so when COVID hit, it was like suddenly I think everyone was going, what can we do to help? And so it obviously fulfilled a need there. But I'm just so grateful that that it was like almost prophetic in starting it like three years ago. Um, so when this happened, it was it was there to support people in its time. Yeah, some beautiful things going on. It's just uh, last week we heard of someone 
who'd come to faith uh, through a Kintsugi group and last weekend got baptised, um, which is which is just fantastic. Oh, I so love hearing those stories. And if someone's listening today and they want to go, I'd love to get hold of the resources. I'd like to find out more about Kintsugi Hope. Um, what's the website? Where can they go? Yeah, it's www.kintsugi, which is K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I, um, kintsugihope.com. And, uh, and you just go on there and like, it's really self-explanatory. Um, you can apply online, you can get involved. There's loads of sort of stuff on there, which you can see how to um, do it. And, and all the training is online now, so it's really easy to do. It's like five hours, I think nine, 20 minute modules. And uh, so again, I think that's helped uh, make it more accessible for people. So what I'd like to do to take a few moments, Patrick, talk about uh, the area of leadership and well-being. I think you mentioned there, yeah. you know, you know that, that image, a powerful image, that Jesus had scars after he was resurrected. And yet so often as Christian leaders, it feels to me like we sometimes try and hide our imperfections. We try and work really hard to seem like we have it all together. And we've heard too many tragic stories of, of well-known church ministries that seem to have it all together and it's all broken down when when the reality comes to the surface and sadly often they've passed on before things come to the surface and we find stuff out um you know i, I was talking in the last episode to dr kate middleton she was saying as church leaders often we are trying to be there the sort of saviors of other people we're trying to help other people but we're actually grappling with their own stuff as well how can we help us as leaders be more vulnerable be more authentic and yet still lead you know with conviction mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Jesus is a great example um, that he, you know, he took people on a journey with him. And, and I always think what's amazing about Jesus is he always dealt with people's shame before their guilt. Mm. And he always dealt with that sense of people feeling worthless, you know, whether it was Zacchaeus up a tree was he up a tree because he's small or was it actually because he was everyone hated him, you know, and uh, um, a woman with a blood disorder, man's you know, side of the road, son of David, have mercy on me. And it was that sense of, he always dealt with their shame and that sense of who they are, you know. And and I think for us as leaders, it is that sense of remembering it's not who we're becoming. So like my books, I often say, you know, they're not really self-help books because it's not about who we're becoming, it's about who we belong to. And, and I feel it's like operating out of that place. And, uh, but I feel like when you can do that, you can be honest because actually your affirmation and your security isn't coming by what others think of you. It's coming out of your relationship with God. And, uh, and, you know, that is a process, you know, we're all on that journey together, but I feel like, I think Kate's right in the sense that we, we want to fix people. And I think as leaders, a lot of leaders I know are very need motivated. Um, and, um, and so you see a need and you've got to meet it. But the reality is, is that we can't. And Jesus is the rescuer. Um, we are not the rescuer. We are not the Messiah. We are not. And uh, in my new book, Bouncing Forward, there's this chapter really uh, got me thinking. It was about kindness and it was talking about the Good Samaritan. And I think it's Samuel Wells said that we've been looking at that story from a very Western mindset. And if we look at the Good Samaritan, we are always put ourselves in, you know, if we put ourselves in the story, we're the Good Samaritan helping the poor people. And and he was like, I don't think that's true. I think we're the beggar at the side of the road. We're the broken person. And Jesus is the Good Samaritan and he's rescuing us. And sometimes it's about letting go of our pride and going, allowing you to sort of minister to us. And as we turn that, we can then minister to others. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's tough, isn't it? So I think if you define culture as the way we do things around here, 
I think leadership culture and church culture has to change. Um, we had too many burnt out leaders, too many lonely leaders. Ask a, ask a leader how many close friends they've got. Um, if they're honest, there's not many. And so we do need to see a change in culture within leadership. Yeah, I think that's that's such a helpful comment. I, I think the the flip side of vulnerability is being willing to ask for help. Yeah, I think we often, yeah. like you say, quite rightly, as, as leaders, we think, oh, we need to be the helpers. We need to be the ones mm-hmm. that, but by, but by saying that, we're actually arrogant in the sense we're going, we've got it all together. So we're the one mm. that will help you rather than being vulnerable and saying, would you help me? I, yeah, I, need absolutely. Help. I think that'd be an amazing kind of comment. Yeah. And, yeah. And I guess, you know, I, I'm just aware, like you just said, there are many leaders and those listening today, we know one of the reasons we set this podcast up was recognizing churches are often isolated. And yeah. um, I naively thought if they're part of a denomination, maybe they've got support from their network or the, the crew they're part of but often they feel isolated. What, what can they do that? How can they, you know, they, they want to be held in high esteem by their community. They don't want to let people down or, or make them realize they're actually human and real. Um, how do they manage and grapple with being honest, being authentic, being vulnerable, um, but also making sure they are um, still, still leading people and not just becoming another member, um, you know, sort of desperately asking for a sort of pity party for them type of thing. Yeah. I think, I think it's always about our motive, for doing stuff and you know that god look, doesn't look on the outside appearance he looks at our heart and uh, you know brené brown has very famously said that um courage and vulnerability are the same thing and the latin word for courage is cur it means to speak your mind with your heart and some of the best leaders um throughout history have been the ones that have been willing to show a measure of vulnerability it's funny i'm just reading um barack obama's book um it's like a massive book it's taken me forever but it's interesting, and this isn't about his politics, but there's a bit in there that he was like, you know what, I realised that I respond in certain ways because my father was never around as a kid. Um, and I realised I could see that in some of the decisions that I made and reflected. Um, and I was like, my goodness, that's incredibly self-aware. Um, and if the President of the United States is willing to <laughs> say that, then there's a model of leadership, which actually, whether you agree with his politics or not, is, is really interesting. And um, so I really think courage, I I always talk about the three C's and I find them so helpful. Um, Courage, curiosity. Um, I feel like curiosity is asking yourself why you feel in the way that you're feeling. Get curious about how you're feeling. Um, Rather than judging yourself and others, which is our first reaction, is get curious. What is this emotion trying to tell me? You know, toxic positivity is, is not a great thing. It, it really hurts people. What's it trying to tell me? How can I respond differently to this? Get curious. And then the last C, compassion. Um, compassion for yourself and compassion for others. Um, self-compassion is talking to yourself the way you would talk to your best friend. And um, we've already said that our biggest critics are ourselves. And actually you would treat your friend with gentleness and kindness uh, tenderness, um, understanding. And yet when it comes to yourself and your own failings, you beat yourself up. And so I think honesty breeds more honesty. And I think it creates a culture and, and you can lead out of that. You know, some of the best leaders, um, you don't look at them and go, oh man, they're weak. Fancy telling us how they feel. I mean, what a weakling. You think, oh, that's quite courageous. Um, and you want to follow courageous leaders. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I'll always remember there's this lovely moment um, that we shared 
Patrick, we were at an event and you were speaking, you were one of our keynote speakers, there were thousands of people there and I was hosting the meeting and you did this outstanding talk around vulnerability and the whole place was just like, you know, people were going, yes, glad about time too and hundreds are coming forward. And I remember you played a track from The Greatest Showman, This Is Me, um, which had everyone in tears and and you come off the stage having had this like incredible kind of presentation and put forward this thought and you just leaned over to me and went, was that okay? <laughs> and I just that for me was a real beautiful moment I thought because this is this is honest this is real this is mm. the presentation could be fine but actually was that okay is still living within all of us mm. and I guess you know how do, how do we change our culture as leaders where we have to like you say put out the show reel we've got this together we're all sorted no one knows our humanity all they know is our facade um, mm. so you've put some ideas around how we change the culture but you know you would never refer to yourself as um, an expert. You'd always refer to yourself as a fellow traveler, as a, you know, somebody who, who shares pain, doesn't just have the answers to it. Yeah, I feel like a like pilgrim, like on a journey and uh, trying to work it out. And, uh, and I love that. I love that about um, one of my favorite stories is Jesus on the Emmaus Road. And I love the fact the day after his resurrection, um, Jesus chooses to spend it with two heartbroken people who are probably confused, angry, frustrated, thought the Messiah was going to be this military Messiah that was going to bring, you know, give the Romans what for and sort it all out. And then witness this awful, horrendous, traumatic death. And like, you know, a marketing expert probably would have gone, you know, Jesus, actually a feeding of the 5,000 gig would be quite good now. Um, or another sermon on the Mount, you know, let, let's get the word out. And it's like, no, the morning after resurrection, I'm going to spend the morning with two heartbroken people that no one's ever heard of. Um, you know, I, I've been around a lot of fundraising events and I've seen people work the room and when they come up to you and they realise you've got no money, they soon move on to the next person. And it was almost like, here's a nobody. And um, and I love the fact that he doesn't jump in at the start of the conversation and go, I'm Jesus, we don't need to have this conversation anymore. Um, he doesn't do that. In fact, he starts telling a bigger story mm. um he starts telling the story about how god has invaded this world right from the beginning of the old testament right throughout the old testament and now um that's being fulfilled and, and then i love the fact that it's actually over a meal the breaking of bread you know brokenness reveals who jesus is that that he gets to reveal and i think it's a beautiful model of of journeying alongside and i feel like i keep saying to our kintsugi leaders my job is just to walk alongside for a little bit and uh, introduce you to Jesus um, and and I love doing it through story um, I love stories I'm inspired by stories and and if I can do that that's that's job done for me well, well let's talk about stories I think you know I've been reading your book Bouncing Forward your new book you you've done numerous books I mean I thought they've all been good in, in different ways honestly over silence blew me away the it's okay to not be okay became a sort of mantra I think everyone started re reusing that phrase and, but I love the fact you didn't want people just to sit there and go, it's okay not to be okay, so I'm just going to press the button now and tell everyone, leave me to wallow here. Yeah. You, you've, you've, you said, no, I, I want to tell a better story. And and the, the brokenness seems to be a real thread through some of your stuff. I, I was reading in, in your book, Bouncing Forward, around how they used to make um, the, you know, the vases or the kind of, you know, really thin clay. So the cracks yeah. would allow the light to shine through the scars. Talk to me yeah. about that, because that's a beautiful image. Well, that, that's out of 2 Corinthians 4, um, where it talks about treasure and jars of clay. And, and I was blown away by that. You know, the thought of actually 
designed to be fragile um, in some ways, designed to for that to happen, for the cracks to go there, but so we could shine more of God's love and compassion out. And uh, and I think that's that that's definitely true for people because I think people relate more to your scars than your success stories. And, uh, and I think that's really, really important. But you're right in the sense that I don't want people to get stuck not flourishing. And I also wanted to get away from this, like, prayers and magic wand, come forward at the end of the meeting, get zapped and you're good to go. That actually there is a process of dealing with this stuff. And, uh, you know, one of the things I found really fascinating was looking again at Jeremiah 29, which is that famous verse, you know, I've got plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you future and a hope. And how that is like the biggest T-shirt, fridge magnet, you know, it's like stick it all over social media on your Facebook. And, and yet it was written to a people in exile and it was written in the context of responding to a prophecy by Hananiah who said that this exile, this sense of vulnerability, feeling orphaned, feel, you know, the book of Lamentations describes the exile, doesn't it? It's just, just this, this sense, this pain that the people of Israel were going through in Babylon. And, and Hananiah comes along and says, it's all going to be over in two years. It's all good. Um, and then Jeremiah goes, actually, it's not two years, it's 70 years. But this time isn't to be wasted. This time is, you know, build gardens, settle down, pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. I have plans to prosper you and not to give to give you future and hope. So it's hope in the place of exile. And uh, and so you can thrive in the midst of an environment where actually it's going to be difficult. And I don't hear many people preaching that going, actually, it's going to be difficult, but we can still thrive because um, God is with us. And one of the things that blew me away about the research was when you look at the people that have survived concentration camps and POW camps, they said the people that didn't survive were the optimists were the ones who go, I'll be out by January, I'll be out by Christmas, or I'll be out by Easter. They died really quickly. The people that survived actually were those that accepted the situation, adapted to it, but never lost hope. And, and I think that, 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 that sense of even what we've been through now is almost like, let's de not deny this has been really hard. Um, let's adapt, let's change, you know, um, but let's not lose hope and uh, that that things can be different and will be different yeah no i think that's great advice for any leaders out there any christians out there just trying to work out how how do we get through our every day i'm aware of that yeah, it's in your book the stockdale paradox isn't it living there yeah. between the two and going hope yeah. is real but also what i'm facing it hurts and it's okay yeah. to accept that and i think often we either try and live in hope and naively sort of bluster our way through or we just we just kind of go oh this is it we've got nowhere to go you know woe is me type of you know one kings 19 and elijah just like yeah. it's all falling apart type of thing um but how, how do we i mean talk to me a bit about bouncing forward because that's a, that's a you know we talk about bouncing back we say oh you know, we'll bounce back eventually you know once yeah. once once covid all sorted and the pandemic's done we'll all bounce back and and it'll be just as it used to be but you've called this bouncing forward talk to me about that title yeah, I think um, it's interesting, you, like bouncing back's getting used all the time now on the news, you know, will the economy bounce back, will the church bounce back, you know, I've heard some leaders go, will anyone come back, <laughs> you know, and, um, and there's this, this real sense of that's how resilience has been traditionally seen, and, uh, but I remember when I had my leg operations, um, people used to say that to me, you'll bounce back, and it wasn't that I wanted to go through what I've been through. I, I don't, I, I wish I hadn't gone through it. It was horrible. Um, but I learned so much 
I learned so much about values and myself and perfectionism and that actually I wouldn't want to go back to be the person I was. And why would I go back to being my, you know, my former self that's been through less? Um, it makes no sense to me. And uh, so bouncing forwards is that concept of uh, let's take the good and the bad and all this stuff. You know, I, I really hope our values have been challenged over this. There's a big chapter in the book about values and what does success actually look like, which I think is fascinating, particularly for leaders. But it's like, let's bounce forward. You know, I was reading Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, and he was saying, you know, after World War II, though there were many mistakes made, the amount of creativity that came out when people started to think differently because of what they're being through. The NHS was born out of that. And, uh, and, and his point is let's let, let this not be a missed opportunity where we just want to go back. Um, and uh, what does it mean to bounce forward to think differently maybe about this and, and what are our values and what are those key points that we, which are non-negotiable for us? Um, so yeah, so it was a really challenging book to write. Um, and uh, I probably never lent on so many different um, sources of research. So from psychology to, you know, Brian Stevenson, activism in the States, the guy who gets people off death row. I mean, he's, he's just one of the most amazing, resilient people. Poets like Man Maya Angelou, um, Brené Brown, Susan David, um, theologians. Um, it was just fascinating. Yeah. yeah well, Patrick, huge thanks for just doing all that work and putting it together. I do recommend that book and, and the work of Kintsugi Hope to those listening today. Um, I was going to ask you a final question. You know, you've given us some really helpful advice here for those listening um, about how do we make sure as leaders we're being vulnerable, being real, being honest. Uh, we know that when leaders get better, everyone wins. But what piece of advice would you give to help us if we're leaders who go, how do I get better at being vulnerable, being real, uh, being yeah. authentic? I think for me, the most helpful analogy that I've come across um, over this last sort of 12 months is, is in the last chapter of the book. It was called The Resilience River. And it basically is looking at um, your levels of resilience as an individual. And it has this little image that at the bottom, um, there are some big rocks. And it's making the point that if our levels are low, we are more likely to crash into the rocks. Um, the rocks don't disappear, they're life, right? They're disappointments. Life could be disappointment at time. Complex relationships, um, you know, bringing up teenage kids, uh, whatever it is, health for me, I'll never be able to run. Um, anxiety for me, uh, if my levels are low, I crash into those things. So it's all about how do I keep my resilience levels high? And so a lot of what I was trying to do is to do a little bit of thinking, well, what are the things that bring me down? Um, so a really healthy self-awareness, um, not introspective stuff but just a really healthy self-awareness and then the key really is and this is where people become really stuck is what are the things that raise my levels of resilience and having done this now with a lot of groups we have a, like a free download you can get off our our website um at kintsugi hope where you can download this image and fill it in um which is great fun people are really quick to fill in the things that drain them find it really hard to fill in the things that lift them up and uh, and can't articulate it at all um you talk about resilience you know by the time everyone says exercise and nature which everyone says you're like for heaven's sake like there's got to be more <laughs> to life than running it's fantastic as running is um there's got to be more ways to level build your resilience than just running and, and nature and it's yeah and i'm a big advocate for those things and so one of the things i was saying really think about it you know know your why know your values you know values are about priorities they're about what's the most important to you you know your values sometimes people can't articulate their values 
Um, um, you know, what are those things? And we talk about gratitude. Um, I use a phrase in the book that gratitude is hunt the good stuff. So it's not a denial of the bad stuff. It means actually you, you actually actively go looking for the good stuff. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I think actually going through that exercise is just such a really helpful, practical thing to do with your leadership teams uh, as small groups. Um, you know, got people doing it in the business sector now. And, uh, and, and just reflect on that. What are those things? What do I need to build into my life over this period to become more resilient so I can thrive in the midst of adversity, which is what resilience is? Yeah, this is wonderful. Patrick, thank you so much. I mean, there's so much there we, we, can, we can spend time on. I thank you for joining us today. Thank you for giving us your time. Um, and thank you for what you've written and put together. And I know it'll be so beneficial to those leaders listening today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. There is so much that we can all learn from Patrick and the way he spoke about his own self-care and resilience. Thank you so much for that, Patrick, for the importance of knowing our own values and priorities, of being grateful for what is good in our lives and the world around us. If you've been listening today and you're looking for more on what we've been talking about, then we do have further resources from Patrick and Kintsugi Hope on the Leaders Hub at theleadershippodcast.uk. Finally, it just leaves me to say thank you. Thank you so much for joining us once again on the Leadership Podcast today with me, Sim Dendy. And, and if I can ask you to do just one thing, a cheeky request. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today, please do share it with others. You can put out a social media post, you know how that works. But maybe better, send it to a friend, one friend today, who you know this information will really help them out at this moment. We also would love to hear from you. The next episode will be another leadership lesson, the last for this topic on well-being, where Ed and I will be responding to your thoughts and questions from what Patrick, Kate and Dave have shared with us over the last few months. So if there's a question that's been really burning you up and you've been desperate to know the answer to, then please post it on our Facebook group. We'd love to hear from you. We hope that this podcast has helped to serve you and your leadership because we know that when the leader gets better, everyone wins. <laughs>